0: As you may be aware, about 10 days ago, I was attempting to leave on vacation. I woke up at 4 a.m. and got ready and headed out toward Cleveland Hopkins Airport. And as I drove up to the airport parking, uh, everything was dark. It was absolutely dark. All the lights were off, except for some minimal lighting here and there. And I thought, wow, uh, maybe they're trying to save energy or cut down on light pollution or, I don't know, try to do their part in uh, global warming, cutting down. Kudos to them, whatever the reason was. So then I got on the bus, and as we're driving over to the airport, the driver of the bus informed us that there was a storm the previous night. It's one of the advantages of living in a brick house. You miss it all. And it had blowing out the power. There was no power at the airport except emergency power. Police were everywhere directing traffic because the streetlights were down. And when we were dropped off, I was walking towards the large revolving doors and there was another man approaching at the same time. So I stopped to let him go in and he stopped. and says, oh no, father, you go first. I said, it was very nice, you know, kind of. Deferential. I said, thank you very much. And I started walking in. He said, yeah, there's a lot of angry people in there, and they're eating everyone alive. You go first. <laughs> so now it's about 5 in the morning or so, and the place was Packed, the long lines at the counters, and people were huffing and puffing and speaking angrily into their cell phones and looking cross. And right then and there, I decided I was going to do everything I could do to annoy them even more by being happy. And at first, I thought it paid off cosmically because, amidst all the canceled flight cancellation things on the board, mine still said, on time. I'm like, ha. But between my walk from the front counters back to the, uh, the gate, my flight had been canceled. And there was another uh, older lady there saying, what are we supposed to do? And I go, I don't know, I've never had a canceled flight before. She said, should we get in line? I said, yeah. So we get into this line, it's an incredibly long line because all flights are canceled and everybody's trying to rebook. And so we wait and we wait and wait, you know, people are all frustrated and we only have 3 people working the counter and they're bearing the brunt of all this frustration and finally we make it to the front of the line and the guy behind the counter says the power is back on there is a chance that your flight will still take off you can get out of line and wait and see or i can issue you new tickets for later in the day if i issue you your new tickets You can't go back and get tickets for this flight if it should take off. Why, I don't know, but that's what he said. So we stepped out of line. And we sit for a little while, get a cup of coffee, and then the announcement is made. Our flight is definitely, irrevocably canceled. And that means getting back to the end of this really long line and working our way through it. Eventually getting to the front of the line again the attendant is able to reschedule us for a flight that would take off in five hours It'll be a longer flight. There will be a layover and a switching of planes. That means getting to my destination at 7 p.m 4 a.m. to 7 p.m. It was a long day to say the least Life is a constant struggle between order and chaos In this case, the order is, I have my ticket, I have well-packed luggage, I arrived on time. The chaos was the winter snow, storm, the power outage, angry people, and uncertain information. Every day we walk this tightrope between chaos and order, between good and evil, and much of it runs under the radar screen, we just handle it. I'm thirsty, I get a drink of water, the lawn is overgrown, I mow it. Work is crazy. I put in an extra hour. Every once in a while, chaos seems a bit too strong. And when that happens, you have choices on how to react to it. People have choices on how they would react to a flight cancellation. These are very important decisions to make. If we err on the side of being too aggressively angry. At the least end, people just don't want to deal with us. At its worst, it leads to riots, both of which makes the situation even worse. And who wants worse? Apparently a lot of people do. My mom was the best at countering that. That's probably one of the best lessons I learned from her. If we got lost, she said, good, now we're on a detour. I can see things I wouldn't have seen before. If something goes wrong, you know, here's an opportunity to see what might happen. If we err on the side of being too wimpy, however, at the bottom end of the scale, we risk being treated unfairly. And at worst, we could be completely ignored and pushed aside. Both of these writ large on a society is the difference between revolution and authoritarianism. It's a delicate line to walk between, and we evaluate it and respond to it every moment of our waking lives. And our faith attempts to assist us to know where that line of justice and love is, and what to do when life moves too far to chaos or toward totalitarianism, pulling order from chaos just as God did when he created the universe. Today in the first reading we hear Job's lamenting, and why shouldn't he be upset? It's reasonable to be upset in the situation he was. All his livestock had either died or been stolen. All his workers had been either captured or put to the sword. All his children died in a terrible accident. And finally he found himself covered in boils from the crown of his head to the bottom of his feet. His misery is so great that even his wife looks at him and says, why not just curse God and die? She's had enough of his misery. We can only bear so much of another person's suffering, of their chaos. We can only carry so much. So there's a long period in the book of Job where his friends try to figure out exactly what's to blame, who's to blame, And what went wrong? Did he sin? Maybe he should repent. What's the use, he asks. I hate my life. I cursed the day I was born. It is suggested that maybe he deserves everything that happened to him, a terrible thought. Job wonders at the use of repenting. Don't evil people get away with stuff all the time? Maybe this is just God's cruel game. And it goes on and on until Job finally gets to speak directly to God. And God puts him in his place and tells him that it is his role to carry on being a good son of God, not looking to blame anybody, least of all God. Work on order. And when he does this, God restores his fortune. Does that sound too easy? There is a particle of truth in this. There was a cartoon... When I was down in Florida, they're rerunning the "For Better or Worse" cartoon strip. and there's a character in there, a little girl named Elizabeth. and she got it into her head that she was unpopular and that nobody liked her. So they you know showed her going to school on the school bus and scowling and, and kind of hunched over. and then on the playground, you know, sitting in the corner, looking angrily at everybody. And then at the lunch, at lunch, sitting at the table like this, eating her food, and at the end, she said, Aha! I knew it, and this proves it. I'm unpopular. And then the next day, something good happens to her, and she smiles, and her friends come around. Restored fortune. I remember doing an experiment like that when I was a young person, and I thought, Well, how can I get more attention for myself? It's something we all go through, I think, anyway. At least I did. You know, I'm going to act sad. And maybe people will come to me and want to spend time with me and ask me what's upset. And I can become the center of this of this little clique of friends. And it worked for a little bit of time. And after that, you know, you get kind of labeled, he's the sad guy, the chaos guy. And I can only care, carry so much of that. And fortunately, I was in the place of life where I'm going, OK, this isn't working, switch. And we switched, and the world became a better place. Restored fortune. Fix the problem in yourself and the world seems a better place. Interesting. On the other hand, there is chaos in the world that just cuts you off at the knees, right? It may be insurmountable to the individual. In extreme cases, Nazi concentration camps but who do, we, who do we really remember from those camps? Who do we celebrate? Who do I've got him on my keychain. You know, there's statues, stained glass windows. St. Maximilian Colby. Why? Because he fought the chaos and brought freedom and order to where he was. He was a candle in the vast darkness, and granted there was no reward for him in this life. But in the next life. What a reward! Our faith shows us that even in the smoke that rose from the concentration camps, there is hope. Or think of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, sent to the Soviet gulag, who wrote the Gulag Archipelagio, which after he was released and it was finally published, was largely responsible for bringing down the Soviet Union. Fight chaos. Bring order. Change the world. Create the world out of chaos, the whole creation story of our God and whose likeness we are made. In the end, it's going to come down to who you are and who you want to be and the vision of the world in which you want to live and what you want to accomplish and how you choose to see the world, whether it be in the lap of luxury or in a Soviet gulag. People in luxury are often in chains and chaos. Just read the newspaper. People in concentration camps can be free and orderly. You can add to the chaos, anger, control, histrionics, laziness, selfishness, licentiousness, self-interest, and authoritarianism, or you can add to the balance, the good, the true, the beautiful, the charitable, the hopeful, and the attractive.